Thanks for joining us for Season 7 of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Hospitality share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy. I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, otherwise known as the Restaurant Guy. And thanks for that uh, introduction, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Branded Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, food service, technology, innovation, and capital. And Jimmy, let me tell you, we've got a show today. Got a show. Got a show. Big show. Big show. Great guest. Super excited. Jimmy, I had a great weekend. Uh, I was out at the beach. The weather was great. I'm at the beach by myself because, uh, well, my family doesn't want to hang with me. So I'm by myself (laughs) at the beach, sitting there pondering. And all I could ponder was one thing. You know what I was pondering? Uh, I'm going to guess. I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to take a shot. Uh, whether your air conditioner was going to be fully blasting when you got home or not. No, no. That, that's yeah. 67, right. 68 at all times, 24-7. No, Jimmy, I was pondering where would an operator go to find all the best-in-class technology and innovative solutions to run their business ooh, today? Ooh, where I know. would they do ooh, that? Boom, I know. Yeah. The Branded Marketplace. I say, you got to go to thebrandedmarketplace.com. That's where you're going to find everything you need to run your business efficiently today with some of the most creative, incredible solutions. And I got to tell you, if you have a great solution out there, great tech, great innovation, great service provider, and you're selling into this space and you want to get on the marketplace, Jimmy, just email me, marketplace at brandedstrategic.com. We'll onboard you in minutes. Jimmy, Thousands of operators have already used this. We have 500 companies on selling their their incredible products. And do you know what it costs to be on the marketplace, Jimmy? Very expensive. This has to be very, very expensive. From what I just told you, and I mean, you know the price. I don't tell you. There's no baby formula. Gas is $8. I mean, yes, it would be very expensive. But it's free, Jimmy. Even in this time of inflation, we're still giving it away for free. 8.5% inflation. We have no inflation, Jimmy. That's right. No inflation. We just give it away. How do we make money, Shaq? We're still giving it away. How do we make money? Volume, Jimmy. Volume. 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 You just keep giving it away eventually. Our guest is going right. to tell us how you make money in volume. Yes. Yes, he is. All right. Let's jump into it because we really do. We have, we have some hospitality royalty today i'm not joking around 100%. very excited very excited for today's episode our guest is our friend stratus morphigan uh, founder of the brooklyn dumpling shop uh for our non-new york listeners thinking what the heck is the, this brooklyn dumpling shop let me tell you something and i promise i'll even do something my attorneys would beg me not to do i guarantee this is a brand that will soon be a household name across the country as they have franchising plans for 500 units in the next five years. And if Stratus sounds familiar- five months, Jimmy. Is it five years or five months? It's five. Let's let's give him a break. 500 stores, Shats, five months. Even even, even Stratus can't pull that off. Stratus we're talking about here. Listen, he is one of the most innovation names, most, most innovative names in the New York City hospitality scene, not just today, not just this decade, for decades. So with all that being said, Stratus, we'd love- He's 260 years old, but he looks great. (laughs) We'd love to have you take the lead. Please give us a little background about yourself and, of course, your pitch and and tell our listeners about the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. The Brooklyn Dumpling Shop, please. Oh, first, thanks for having me on. And, uh, wow, I hope I passed those beautiful introductional uh, hierarchy terms. I mean, I'm very flattered by that. Yes. But anyway, uh, thank you. Um, So, well, let me go back a little. For 17 years, I've owned Chinese restaurants, but I come from a Greek diner background. 
where, um, you know, I, I, my family was like that typical Greek family with like 14 different types of restaurants. Um, basically from the womb, I've been doing restaurants. And basically when the last 17 years I've owned Chinese restaurants, you know, I had told my dad who owned the Chelsea Chop Houses, um, one of our last conversations. And I said to him, you know, I'm going to bring back the Chelsea Chop House. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I don't know what the menu is going to look like but I'm going to bring back my dad's brand from 1956 to 1985. So as I just sold my last Chinese restaurant, I said, you know, when you go to a chop house, the menu is just so, hasn't really changed in 150 years since the Irish brought it to us in the 1850s. And they, they basically landed in Brooklyn and there were about 11 chop houses. It became cream of spinach, baked potato, chop houses, shrimp, shrimp cocktail, lucky if you get a lobster with some crab. And I said, you know what, when I go to a chop house or a steakhouse, which I love, you know, my wife doesn't eat beef. And I saw that she was kind of having a hard time with it. And basically, that's how we created Brooklyn Chop House. I married Beijing Chinese food to an American steakhouse. And I made both cultures true to each other. And with that said, we created a concept of lobster, steak and duck, LSD, salt and pepper, ginger, garlic, <laughs> lobster, prime dry aged steak, married with authentic Peking duck. And there's never been a table that's put that ultimate surf and turf all on one table done right and done respectful to each culture. Make a very long story shorter is that um, when we got down to the appetizer, I said, you know, I don't want to do a burger at my chop house. I don't want to do French onion soup or lobster bisque at my chop house. I want to do Zhao Bang. I want to do French onion soup dumplings. I, but traditionally, te technical and methodically done like a Chinese restaurant, but the fillings will be diner classics like French onion soup in a dumpling. And then it came down to like, let's do a burger. Let's do bacon cheeseburger shumai. Let's do Philly cheesesteak. Let's do pastrami, the Reuben. When you, when you make the Reuben dumpling, you're dipping it in Russian dressing, uh, mustard with the pastrami. So everything that was once a sandwich, I converted it into a dumpling. So when we opened in 2018, our, we doubled our projections. The restaurant just went gangbusters and everybody was ordering a bunch of dumplings. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> For all you listeners out there who don't have video, we just got a big box of Brooklyn dumpling shop dumplings. Oh, wow. This may, be the, this may be the best podcast I've ever had. So to bring your question full circle, basically at that point, I said to my partners, I want to do a two-ounce sandwich shop. And like, what the hell is a two-ounce sandwich shop? I said, it's just taking, let's go to peanut butter and jelly. Let's go to Tex-Mex. Let's go to chicken wings. Let's go keep going. Let's do the bacon, egg, and cheese croissant, which we just got the trademark for, a croissant oh. hybrid of a dumpling. Let's just make this into a sandwich shop. And this way we'll be creating two, we'll be reinventing and reimagining two yeah. subcategories, dumplings and sandwiches. I love it. Hold on, Strauss, let me give you something. Me, I want to give you something. Hold on, I have an idea for you, a tagline. Right, get ready for it. Dumplings reimagined. Oh, wow, that is Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. You, you, you've done it again, Jimmy. Oh, you've done it again. You can have it. Wow, that's you can have it. Right, you can have it. Listen, no Stratus, no charge for Jimmy's first idea. Did you, have an you. idea. Did you look at the box? Oh, my God, it's on the box. He knocked you off, Jimmy. He knocked you off already. See, I can see the See, in the digital age, digital age, everything's fast when I'm going to knock something off. Listen, before we take a deeper dive into what you're doing at the Brooklyn Dumping Shop, there's a lot to get into because you really are a legend here in New York. I mean, hospitality, as you said, it runs really deep in your blood. Your family is Greek, you're, you know, years and years since uh, you were you were making, uh, you had Greek diner ideas when you were in the womb back in uh, in 56. 
end or whatever year it was. I mean, but uh, 57, <laughs> but, 67. You, 67, 67, in 67, you were doing what you things, the guy? <laughs> in 67, but I mean, your, your grandfather was a restaurant operator. I mean, you go back a long time. Let's take a deeper dive and get a little bit more. I mean, you brought the Fulton Fishmark, the famous Fulton Fishmarker online in 1997. You were the founder of, I mean, a New York staple, I mean, Jimmy Knight, Philippe Chow. I mean, that was, I don't know how many stores you had, but they were all over the place. And that was unbelievable. We love, we love that. And now you're an author. I mean, an author writing books. I just saw you. I don't know, it was a poster somewhere. I just saw you're a famous author now. How has all this experience gotten you to, to the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop? Talk, tell me how this has all helped you create this, this empire you're building. Well, I got to tell you, I, I have severe ADHD. I am um, Wait, what? Wait, what? severe ADHD, <laughs> attention deficit hyper disorder. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, it's an asset. I'm glad I, I, I'm glad I was one of the few that never got medicated. And as a business owner of multi-businesses, I got to tell you, it's an asset where you can multitask at a very high level. Um, so with that said, yeah, my grandfather had the first Greek restaurant in New York from 1910 to 1975. Uh, My father had about 14 restaurants from 56 to 2005. I grew up in this business. And when you grow up in this business, my dad did everything. He had a truck where he'd go to the Fulton Fish Market and he'd exchange weeks with his brother, his partner. And I, I remember at six years old, like I say in my book, Be a Disruptor, I remember my mom saying, hey, you know, I was about seven, eight years old at the time. Said, you know, I'm gonna take your brother and sister to Disney World this week. And I was like, no, 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 dad's got the truck this week. I'm staying. I'm going to the Fulton Fish Market because that was my Disney World. You know, and what I learned in the Fulton Fish Market, you're just not going to teach in a school. I was a really sharp six to 10 year old where I was around street crime. I was around the mobsters. I was around the whole hustle and bustle of the Fulton Fish Market. And my father didn't hide it from me. You know, and I believe that was one of the greatest things he did for me because he really grew me up quickly and basically showed me the real world at a very early age. So then when you marry all that in, I'm hanging out with Ali Shades Mangano, who's the head of the Genovese, he's running the Fulton Fish Market, and I'm calling him uncle, and we're sitting around the fire with a bunch of capos and this and that, and I'm six to 10 years old. Oh, and I saw a guy that didn't pay his 80 bucks for his truck, and the guy who's collecting the money on Dougherty Street pulls out an ice pick and puts it in every one of his tires. I'm seeing this between six to 10 years old. Oh, and by the way, the cops that used to come to my school and tell me about the righteousness, they're standing right there watching the uh, tires be popped. And I'm just like looking at all this and I'm saying, wow, when the, when the police came to my first grade class, they didn't tell me that they stood by and watched this stuff happen. So I was learning real world and I was learning it quickly. And I gotta tell you for the last, you know, I went into nightclubs, I went into restaurants. I've had about 40 restaurants on my own. And I gotta tell you for the last 20 years, people are saying, you gotta write a book. You got to write a book. <laughs> and um, and this is what I did with uh, Skyhorse, Simon & Schuster. I wrote Be a Disruptor because I just realized I've disrupted everything in my life. I love it. And again, as soon as you mentioned the the, the Fulton Street Market, the, the Fulton Fish Market, as soon as you mentioned uh, the, 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 your age, I knew you were going to say the word hustle. I knew it was going to be hustle because all of that was grit. All of that was hustle and how real it was. I love the incredible story. Um, to our listeners, I said at the top of the show, we are among some real restaurant royalty today. And also, Shadis is one of the most authentic people you're going to meet. Shatsy as well. But, you know, Shatsy, I like to say, and here's what Shatsy and 
and Stratus have in common. Both go with one, basically one name. Shati's like Madonna or Cher. Stratus is like, you know, Prince or Elvis. You know, that's how I see it. But either way, it's a one name. It's Stratus a one name. is Elvis and I'm Cher. Okay. <laughs> I call it like I see it, Shati. All right. Thanks, something I, I Something I know about you is that you are a true disruptor, and the book, it could not be more on point. Something you've lived and breathed your entire life. So let's kick off a conversation um, and talking about how you're disrupting the dumpling industry by bringing back the automat movement. And for our younger listeners, automats were a turn-of-the-century dining establishments. Um, there was a wall, a, a wall of coin-operated cubbies that contained hot foods and beverages behind glass. They provided quick and delicious meals to hundreds of thousands of diners a day at low prices, thanks in part to the you know waiterless or waitless service. Sound familiar? Waitless service? All right, Stratus, all you, baby. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, the first words you just said were very important. You said the dumpling industry. Well, there is no dumpling industry. And that's why we were creating our own lane. That's what's incredible about this is that dumplings are loved by everybody. But there's not one group or there's not one lane that's been created. It's been, everything else has been over-explained. Over Burgers, pizza, Mexican, everything has been so overly explained but dumplings and dumplings. I think, I gotta, the, I think I, the Jews call it kreplock. And, 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 and you know what? You know what? That was a great, 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 great hit because you know every nationality has a dumpling. They yeah. have something with you know carbohydrate wrapped around a protein. You know that's basically what it is. From pierogies to uh, baklavas to everything else, every every culture has a dumpling. But it's amazing to me that we walked into a completely untapped market. And like you said, with the with the packaging that we've done, we've reimagined dumplings and we've reimagined sandwiches because we've combined the two. And uh, and that's where Brooklyn Dumpling Shop was created. And in regards to the automat, I, I learned that seven out of 10 restaurants fail within three years. Number one reason is excessive payroll. I knew with driverless cars, it was time to bring the consumer the control of their ordering by their smartphone. And that's what we did. We allowed that TikTok generation 13 to 30 because that's how they live. They live on their phone. Why not give a restaurant that speaks to them? And that's what we did with Brooklyn Dumpling Shop and reinventing the automat. Because the automat, like you said, you dropped a few coins in at Horn and Harded. You had to go wait to get change. I also wanted to realize why the automat failed in the 70s. And basically, technology failed the automat. And now technology is bringing it back. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks for that. And I got to tell you, so you may be the most tech forward operator we've had so far. And I got to tell you, it's incredible because, I mean, you're like us, you're an old school operator, old time operator, no disrespect, but we're, I mean, we're of the same age. We're, we've been in the business a long time, but yet you are so forward thinking that this dumpling shop, your Brooklyn dumpling shop, correct me if I'm wrong, zero employees to operate day to day with regards to um, the, the, the interaction with the guests, 24 hour contactless ordering in these lockers that are, that are heated for pickup. You can get a customer in and out of there in like 30 seconds. So just walk me through this, walk our listeners through this. How does the store operate? Who's making these dumplings at two o'clock in the morning? So the beauty of it is the people that have tried to reincarnate the automat have failed. And the reason why they did is they made the whole restaurant one wall-to-wall automat. And they didn't have the technology. These were more like Amazon lockers, and Amazon lockers don't compete with what we're doing. So what we did was make it half automat and half, half glass kitchen. So now the consumer, especially in these days and times, they want to see that kitchen being spotless. 
They want to see that everybody's wearing their gloves and their hats and their facial wear and everything is done properly because the automat can give people anxiety when they don't know how the food is being done behind them. So we've made every Brooklyn dumpling shop half automat, half glass kitchen with the dumpling machine right in front of you on the other side of the glass kitchen being made in front of you. So everything is still cooked to order. And what's beauty about, beautiful about this is that the only reason why I have a greeter in the front, and that's one greeter, is because we do serve alcoholic beverage. We have to double check IDs. And the other reason is I double check on sanitary. I maybe make sure the tables and the floors and the garbage and all that's handled. But another reason is like the 35 and over crowd, which really walk in and think, wow, they get quite intimidated. They say, do I need an MIT degree to just get a meal or get a <laughs> snack? And the truth is the greeter will be right there and say, hey, come on, let me sh- first time here, let me show you how this works. And then we've had incredible feedback on people that said they had one foot out the door. They didn't want to stay. One 60-year-old woman told me, and she said, when the greeter showed me how to do it, I got to tell you, I've been to a Chipotle, a McDonald's, and a Starbucks in the last six weeks, and I've been to your shop five more times, and I will tell you, I can't look at a cashier the same way. We shouldn't have cashiers in our industry the same way we shouldn't have toll booth clerks on highways. Jimmy loves and- a toll booth. I love I love waiting on live with the toe yeah, I yeah, miss yeah. Yes, wait a while. And just add, and we shouldn't have umpires behind home plate. Ooh. It should be all high tech. I that's a good argument there. Wow. I got to tell you. So listen, wow. not the that's play. a whole other podcast there. Oh, by the way, a, there is some <laughs> argument there. Set the strike zone. Let's go. Let the uh, you know you don't have umpires uh, uh, at the U.S. Open anymore in the tennis lines. But I digress. All right, not to play devil's advocate here, but the real fear among at least some, if not maybe many restaurant employees, is that their jobs will soon become obsolete Uh, with the rise in technology and robots. But I know your stance. I'm basically throwing it to you. (laughs) You're actually saving jobs. Please share your thoughts on this, my friend. So I just spoke at the Murtech conference in in Vegas for over a thousand people. And one guy took the mic and stood up and said, look at this yuppie asshole stealing jobs. And, and and then the commentator, the, the moderator. Who was the, who was the yuppie asshole? Yeah, that was me. Sorry. <laughs> I love being called a yuppie at 54 years old. I was, gonna say, I was okay, like, cool. that, that is the ultimate. I said, I actually, the moderator is like, hey, no profanity. Hey. I go, no, 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 no. Allow it because I'm, I'm, I'm humbled that he's calling me a yuppie. And, and I, <laughs> I agree. And I could take the criticism because what he's saying, there's a hundred more thinking it. So let me answer it. Because obviously this person is not in the restaurant industry, so I don't even know how he got here to the Merck conference. But let me answer it. I had to get a little little shot in on him. Yeah, jag in there, yeah. yeah. So I said, very simple. Seven out of 10 restaurants fell within three years. The number one reason is payroll, excessive payroll. I didn't create the automat for safety. I created it for economics and efficiencies. And the reason why these businesses go out, because the average payroll is 32 to 35%. It even goes higher if you're not hitting your numbers. And with that, that will take you out of business very quickly. Can you imagine having like the reason why 7-Elevens don't go out of business? They got one person in the back and they can run the whole place. But can you imagine that there's a Brooklyn dumpling shop that's not doing the numbers or what have you or marginally breaking even? That dumpling shop is not going to go out of business with a 15 percent payroll. It's not going to go out of business. So I said to them very clearly, if seven out of 10 restaurants are failing because of 30 to 40 percent payroll, and we have a method and it's proven now, it's not just hype, that you can bring this down to 14 to 18%. You got a chance of not just surviving, but thriving. Thriving, and, yeah, 100%. And, and remember this, it's Food uh, Institution Magazine, it's, it's, it's a statistic. For every one food job that's lost, there are 10 other industries that lose a job. Think about it. When you lose a job at a restaurant, 
10 other people lose their job from the vendors to the shoeshine guy. The whole flywheel. It's a horrible trickle down. Horrible. But 10 people for every one food job get lost. So if you do this math and you can see now possibly seven out of 10 restaurants have a chance at success, we've we've not just saved a a restaurant or a restaurateur, we've saved an industry and we've saved jobs and everything was crickets and everybody clapped their hands and it was case closed. A hundred percent. So listen, let's talk about creating jobs. Let's talk about your franchising plan Uh, because we had Dan Rowe who uh, from France Smart, a founder and CEO of France Smart, who we had on the show just a couple of weeks ago. And for those of you who don't know who Dan is or missed it, uh, Dan is one of the, I mean, I think, uh, I think Stratus, I think you called him the Forrest Gump of uh, a franchise because <laughs> he just knows, he just knows what a good idea is. He is really. And he the called leader. me the he called me the Willy Wonka of dumplings to the wall. Uh, and I got to tell you, I, I like it. That's why you guys are good together. He is really, I mean, a franchising guru. He's done so many franchises; it's, it's hard to list them right now. But you are now franchising the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. And and by the way, franchising is a great way. You are literally creating jobs and helping people create jobs with franchising. We think it's just fantastic. Um, so let's just talk a little about this. That you opened your first shop, uh, I think was was it last year, right? Well, we we basically were trying to open uh, January February of 2020, but then Comrade Cuomo shut everything down, right? And then we had to um, basically got delayed <laughs> about two years. But so now you've got your store open, and now you have in contract, you're on track to open 125 Brooklyn dumpling shops by 2023. You have. 50 signed agreements, or you had 50 signed agreements before you even opened the store. I mean, that's unbelievable. So when you talk about creating jobs and building something, I mean, you're doing it. So let's talk a little bit about your franchising plans, where you're going, what cities. When I saw you, you said you just came back from approving 30 or 40 sites. Tell me a little bit about it. Where are you going? Yeah, so we we were probably the only restaurant in the industry that's uh, sold 50 franchises before I opened store one which came as a huge surprise to me because um, our plan was to open three shops, do the traditional, you know, uh, prove out the business model, then go to the franchise market. But the cart got in front of the horse on this because the technology was so exciting. And then at the end of the day, you know, they could taste the dumplings at Brooklyn Shop House. So the new franchisees would come because the technology was set up very early on. So they would test the technology knowing that we weren't open, but, you know, we were just waiting for COVID and all the mandates to stop. And then after that, uh, they would go to Chop House and try the dumplings and say, okay, I'm in. And we were signing franchises just like that. And um, our model right now, because again, there's a lot of COVID delays and, and, and supply chain breaks. So right now we're, we're planned to open one dumpling shop uh, every three weeks for the year 2022. Uh, two a week in 23, 24, and 25, we'll probably get up to three a week. And that's where we're at with growth. Uh, we have a Jimmy, more quick a, math, Jimmy. What does that add up to? Quick math. <laughs> a lot of yeah. a lot of stores. It's, it's <laughs> about it's about three. It's it's about we're we're gonna have either in contract, in development, or open stores by I'd say by 2027 we'll have 500 in play, um, which will basically be open in development or contracted because that's what it looks like. And hopefully we don't have any more of this uh, you know dictatorship type 
shutdowns again, <laughs> where one person could come and shut down an economy without going to any legislative body. But that's a whole other show. That's a, that's an, at the top of the There would be no umpires in baseball, too. By the way, yeah. I think that's breaking news, Jimmy. I mean, this has <laughs> got to be one of the fastest growing franchise brands ever. I mean, this yeah. is bigger than Jiffy Lube, Jimmy. By the way, that's why that's why Stratus is Elvis, and uh, you're uh, and I'm share and I'm share. share. All right, you know, I'm just kidding. Call it like I, I love see glitter. It. I love glitter. You do love glitter, Chatsy. I've been called worse. <laughs> I'm going back. I'm going to bring the conversation back to disruption, and specifically, what's next for Brooklyn Dumpling Shop? I know you have renderings for both a hundred and fifty square foot kiosk and a five lane drive through. Um, if developed, these formats will operate without human contact. Uh, can you give us a little verbal preview of how you see this working? Yeah, we're, we're simultaneously, we just developed the drive-through. It's basically a five-car carport. Um, you order by, by using your phone. You don't speak to anybody. Now the footprint is about 600 square feet instead of the usual 2,500 square foot drive-in. Customers don't go inside, but like the rendering shows you, customers can take their dumplings now that the automat is positioned like an ATM machine on the short side of the rectangular building. On the two sides, the buildings, will, the, rest, the, the, the cars will go to the left and the right of the building, scan their phone with QR codes, get their stuff and go. And they haven't spoken to one human being. And our projections show that we could have less than three employees in a 600 foot spot doing up to 500 to 1,000 cars in a 24 hour period. I love Estrada because I got to tell you, I never like human beings. I've never <laughs> once liked, I've well, never liked them. Well, my, my, my daughters agree with you. Yeah, so the idea of not having I mean, my kids with it, the idea of them not speaking to anyone, not seeing anybody, that is just music to their ears or music to their mouth, however you want to say. Unbelievable. You really are a disruptor. Listen, you said a lot. I got to tell you, for many guests we've had on the show, that would be it. That would be enough because you've just said so much. I mean, you've done so much. But there's more. There's more. Wait, wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> there's more. You just came out with a book. That's what we wanted to touch on, a book. So it's not just a Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. Be a disruptor. Streetwise lessons for entrepreneurs from the mob to mandates. Uh, you just came out with this book. It, I understand it's selling like crazy. Uh, I understand movie rights are in the works right now uh, with perhaps Jimmy or I playing uh, Stratus, a young Stratus. We don't know. We'll see. But I got to tell you, all Cody. Cody's going to play Stratus. I mean, you, talk, you were talking earlier. It sounded a little bit like, like Goodfellas. I just watched on Paramount Plus the offer, the making of The Godfather. I mean, I got to tell you. We should definitely get a movie, but let's talk a little about the book. Where can I get the book? How'd you come up with the idea? Who wrote it? Did you write it? Was there a ghostwriter? Talk to us. Yeah, no, I teamed up with uh, Tony Lyons at Skyhorse and Simon and & Schuster. And like I said, like I said previously, that for the last 20 years, because I've been around celebrity, I've been involved with mob-related uh, partners. Mob sells, uh, am I right? Mob sells. Yeah, and, and, and that's why everybody said to me, you should write a book, because no one's ever taken the perspective of, you know, when they talk about the mob and all that, I told John Gotti Jr. and the rest of them to go fuck themselves because I wasn't afraid of them in 1993. But you know what? I, I also had the head of the Genovese's as the guys in my back pocket. And the bottom line is, is I was untouchable because back then Gotti Jr. crew would shake down every restaurant that sold alcohol. And, uh, and, and there was no feds or cops to help you. But, you know, so you had to, you had to do what you had to do to survive and that came in the friends like a Ralph Coppola was the underboss of the Genovese's. Um, he was my uncle, you know, not, I mean, adopted uncle. He called me nephew. I called him uncle. And every time these guys tried to shake me down from Gotham Diner to Rouge Nightclub, well, they got an answer. And the answer wasn't what you're going to get in a court system. 
It was, it was, it was, it was hammered out on the streets. And, and with that, you know what, it felt good to have that kind of protection in my back pocket because I came from a legitimate family, hardworking immigrant family. I've never been arrested, but you know what? I had them as my friends and they were my protectors pre Giuliani because there were no one there to protect us. So everybody has said since then, and you know, with all the celebrity stuff that happened in my past, everybody said, you got to write a book. You no one's ever told a story like this. And then finally, Simon and Schuster and Skyros jumped on and said, it's time to write your book. You know, if you ask my old Greek father who's no longer with us, he would just say I'm stubborn and hard headed. But stubborn and hard headed, the new word for that is disruptor. And that's and that's where I wrote Be a Disruptor. I like it a lot. It. And uh, now, now I'm thinking Clooney, not Jimmy for uh, the young <laughs> I said I went with Clooney. I got to tell you, I see a little Bronx tale here. But again, from a very different perspective. Ooh, let me get a little De Niro in there, maybe for Stratus's grandfather. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you like what I'm doing there? <laughs> thank, thank God, God. grandfather. Hey. Thank God. Aha. I see. Uh-huh. I see. Uh-huh. We're going we're gonna to shift gears a little bit. It turns out that while uh, Shats and I uh, started the podcast, because we love to talk to people, and no one likes talking more than Shatsy. Um, talks pretty good, too. Me, too. Good. Good. Um, we learned along the way that sometimes our guests have questions for us. So let's kick off Talking Back, where we offer the microphone uh, to you, our friend, our guest. Nothing's off the table. The microphone is yours. You know, I, 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 already, got, I already got my answers to my questions. My questions are, is, you know, not everybody can handle the truth. You know, what, now there's not too many restaurateurs that will come out and say, you know, I was partners with the mob. You know, I, I was partners with the NBA types, too. I was also involved with politics, fighting these politicians the last two years. And, and it's nice to have a platform where I, I don't need to be anything because poli- everybody knows I'm not politically correct. But you don't <laughs> need to have someone that's politically correct walk up here and be, you know, what can I say? What can I say? And kudos to you guys for allowing that open forum where anything can be said as long as it's the truth. And that's what I'm about. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, you know, we, uh, and thank you. We um, we pride ourselves. We like to tell our, our investors, our stakeholders, our, our friends, our network, the community we're building is that we, we will pride ourselves of being unfiltered and direct. We will do our best to also be, of course, professional and respectful in the environment that we're in. We are uh, we are investment managers. We're running an investment platform. We also run a whole bunch of 25 restaurants here in New York City. But most importantly, we want to be direct and unfiltered. Um, sometimes our job, and I know it's a, uh, it's not a nice thing to do, but sometimes we have to tell people they have an ugly baby. Um, someone's got to say it. I, I, I always do. let Jimmy do that. Yes, Jesse lets <laughs> me do that. But sometimes an investment is 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 just not right. Sometimes the the CEO, um, you know, made a bad decision. And 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 candidly, you know, decisions, mistakes, bad decisions, they're just you make the best decision you can at the time that you're making it with the information you have available to you. It's easier to call that a mistake, but it's not a mistake. It's just you made the best decision you could at the time you made it. And by the way, we make mistakes, uh, missed on some investments I wish we'd have done. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think the unfiltered, I think. I think the honesty, I think being direct is what most people want. I think some people are, are uncomfortable. They think it's confrontational. It's not confrontational. Just be assertive, express yourself, but be honest. And I think Stratus, you and and I will say, I've, I've said Shatz is one of the most authentic people um, that I've had the privilege of knowing for decades. And ever since I met you um, through this journey, I felt that similarly, you're a very authentic, real person. Um, and I appreciate it because you're going you're gonna to get it straight. And, and on this podcast particularly, you're sharing it straight. So thank you for that. No, like I said, part of my book is not just to show uh, success stories. My, my book also talks about failure, not to be ashamed of failure. 
because there's no truth to there's no path to success without failure and they don't uh, teach that they don't teach that yes. in universities they teach you uh, and I'll, I'll just add to this they teach you to get a job in your 20s retire in your 60s well that was written in 1902 when life expectancy was 60 years old I just taught a class at Lehigh and I said to the young kid who said, my parents just spent 200 grand on my education. And you know, I don't know what I want to do. And I said, and yeah, and you know what, you're coming from an education where you probably have $150,000 in debt and you, they don't even have 25 grand for you to do a startup. All of this is fucked up and tell yeah. your parents, here's my lesson to you that you learned today. Here's my lesson to you at 22. I want you to fuck it up in your twenties. I want you to fail. I want you to continuously to take high risk. And take then I risks. want you to fix it in your 30s. Start making money in your 40s and then retire in your 80s because that's the true, that's the real deal in these times, not in 1902. Do you no, get I, married in this plan? Is there marriage in this plan? A few times, yeah, like me. <laughs> <laughs> you got to at least four times to get it right. Of course. Of course. Three's a charm. <laughs> all right, listen, I want to move into our crystal ball moment, <laughs> a chance where we ask uh, all our guests to put on their Creskin and Miss Cleo hat and predict the future. Uh, Stratus, how do you see restaurants and dining? I actually think I know which way you're going to take this, and I, I'm going to agree it, with you. Let's hear but it. How, do you, how do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to hospitality and technology? Well, I got to tell you um, – as I jumped up and down in 97, telling all my fellow restaurateurs that you need to take this thing called the web uh, seriously. Well, a lot of them got exposed during COVID when they didn't even have an online platform. They didn't have social media. They didn't have any of this. Unfortunately, and it hurts me to say it because I, 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 again, I, I'm not politically correct and I'm brutally honest, is that the hospitality industry has always been late to the tech game and we always get exposed. And it just behooves me, how, why? Why do we want to have cashiers? Why do we even, you know, when you have a six person uh, kitchen, there, there are robotics for the fryer. Why do you want to pay 25 bucks an hour to drop a fryer for four minutes and lift it? There's robotics for that. There's also technology for inventory management, where do you know how great it's gotten and we're just applying it now, where if you change the price of oregano before Cisco delivers the oregano, it changes your food cost before it's delivered. That's the kind of software that's out there that takes away the burdensome of high payroll. But unfortunately, and I wish, I hope to God I'm so wrong, but again, hospitality will be late to the um, NFT game, the metaverse game, and embracing technologies to make their models more efficient and more effective, and in turn, leaving bigger profits for the people that invested in you. You were you are spot on, and obviously uh, you left Jimmy speechless, which is, you can't leave Jimmy speechless. It was perfect. It, it was, was so perfect. Freak, it was perfect. I, in fact, I'm inspired, Chats. You know what? Stratus inspired me. You and I should launch an investment platform dedicated, I mean dedicated solely to food service and hospitality tech and innovation. Okay, Jimmy, so, I love this idea you have. This will be the first time I've spoken about it. I'm at the final, the final print for, for um, a Shark Tank meets the profit called The Ooh. Disruptor, yes. and we're almost signed on, and, and um, it's most likely going to be on a major network, and that will be a show where uh, consumer advanced products and food tech companies of, of hospitality, of retail, like restaurants that want to embrace technology, we fund them on four rounds, and basically we, we go through the whole four rounds with them all the way to a liquidity event. 
I that's love it. And now that's breaking news. Jimmy, that is, is that breaking news? That is yeah. breaking oh, disruptor. It's not starring, starring <laughs> Stratus from the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. And my coach. Yeah, my co-star, my, my, my co-star is legendary too. So it's it's getting really close to announcement. Well, Stratus, I don't know if I can up. do it. I have checked my schedule. I appreciate you thinking about that. I am legendary. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate yes. that. Yes. I have to check my calendar. But I think we'd be great. I think we'd be a great yeah. team, you and me. And we can bring Jimmy on there too. I like it. Me, yeah. you, Jimmy, the disruptor on NBC coming this fall. I love <laughs> it. Is it NBC? You can oh, call. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. NBC, NBC. <laughs> I didn't say it. Oh, Jimbo, we are breaking news. I need to know why I said that. It's all over your face. It's written all over your face. Are you kidding me? It's not done yet. It could be ESPN. You know, you never know. You never know. All right, but listen, this is this is great. I got we got one more segment to get through here. Stratus, it's the branded quick fire. Like the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop is the hottest franchise in the country right now. Branded quick fire is the hottest segment. Everyone loves. I'm gonna ask you five lightning round questions. Don't think too hard. First answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Favorite dumpling flavor? Peanut butter and jelly. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Parmigiana in Southampton. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, love nice. that. Love that. What is your favorite food city in the world? Um, I got I to gotta say, tied with Dallas and Austin, Texas. Ooh. Interesting. Where's your favorite place to travel? Um, Greece. If you were to challenge Jimmy Rye to a classic Backyard barbecue egg spoon race. <laughs> barbecue egg spoon race? What's the barbecue egg spoon race? Isn't it just an egg spoon race? Well, we, you know, barbecue eggs. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, who do you have better odds of beating? Uh, oh, out of you two? Yeah. Uh, I think you're both going to take me down on this one. But when it comes to, I don't know. I, I, I got I to gotta see you guys a little bit more mobile. I'm a good competitor, but that's not my lane. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to win, Shats, because while Stratus admits to having some, uh, let's say, um, um, ADHD uh, issues, and I know you have ADD, and I'm not making light of those issues. Those are real issues. I think both of you would lose interest in this game, be off going somewhere else. Uh, you'd, you'd <laughs> we'd be, we'd be, I think we'd be making a left, yes. and you'd be going straight. I'd be going straight. I'm like, where, I, I'm where gonna, did Shats go? Where's Stratus? Where did yeah, you guys go? We fell in the pool. I, I think I would win this. And which one of you guys are getting the silver medal at this point? We don't know. Um, Stratus, we want to thank you so much um, for for literally coming on the show, sharing your great insights. It's it's really fun to have um, uh, to have you with us. To have someone who's been doing this for uh, really as long, uh, even longer than we have, and the stories that you have. And 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 I can't wait to read the book. And I can't wait to see the show on uh, on on the on the Ocho uh, that that it'll appear your 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 show on the Ocho Chats. He had. No idea what he was talking about. But listen, we really do appreciate um, everything you're doing for this industry, uh, not just during this uh, challenging time, but but always, and you've done it for decades. Um, to our listeners, if you want to get in touch with Stratus uh, directly, you can email the podcast team uh, at podcast at brandedstrategic.com. We'd be happy to make the introduction to our listeners. As always, um, this doesn't work without you. Well, it doesn't work without Shats and me. It doesn't work without our guests, but it doesn't work without you. Um, and, and with that in mind, we very much want to uh, show our appreciation. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and the fact that our subscriber base continues to uh, to grow is something we appreciate. Please join us uh, next week as we welcome our guest. Yes, the former governor, Mr. Cuomo himself. Governor Cuomo will be here 
on the next podcast. I'm kidding because we don't know. He's going to. I was going to say, you better. You better have me on because, boy, oh, boy, that will that will break all podcast records. I I I will debate Comrade Cuomo. I threw that in there just for you, Stratus. You see my face? Yes, yeah, yeah. not what? Like, the what? Comrade Cuomo's gonna be on, and you're not gonna invite me. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. You don't miss out on any of the exciting guests we have coming up. So again, this is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy, uh, with appreciation, Stratus, and everything you're doing with the industry. And I'll pass it back to my boy Shachi to close this out. Thank you, Jimmy and Stratus. Just for our listeners, be a disruptor. Streetwise lessons for entrepreneurs from the mob to mandates. How do we get the book? Every major online bookstore, um, uh, we, we have an exclusive right now with uh, Amazon, but now it's going into from Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble. It's everywhere. All right. Well, listen, every all you listeners out there. Audiobook, Kindle, and hardcover. Who's doing? Who reads the audiobook? Is that you or who, who do we got? I got to tell you, audiobooks are, audiobooks are huge, especially with uh, the elders. They love the audiobook. Well, I, I encourage everybody to get that book because Stratus has got some incredible stories. Don't wait for the movie to be coming out on Netflix next year, starring uh, George Clooney. Uh, and this is Shatsy, a.k.a. Restaurant Guy, signing off. Thanks, everybody. Hospitality Hangout. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.